Hello, welcome to the New Stack Context, a podcast where we review the week's hottest news in cloud native technologies and look ahead to topics we expect will gain more attention in coming weeks. ideal state of a cloud native shop is to run a development and deployment pipeline that can seamlessly move applications from the developer's laptop to the data center or the edge without any manual intervention. And while there are many tools available to facilitate such automation, all too often there are edge cases and exceptions that still require personal attention bringing DevOps pipelines to a halt. The missing piece of the puzzle is a unified application model, asserts Phil Prasik, a principal product manager at Upbound, who spoke about the topic in a breakout session at KubeCon and CloudNativeCon Europe uh, last month. So we have Phil on the show today to talk to us more about that unified application model. Welcome to the show, Phil. Hey, thanks a lot. It's really great to be here. Also joining us today are Joe Jackson, Managing Editor, and Richard McManus, Senior Editor. And I'm Libby Clark, Editorial Marketing Director. Hey, Joe. Hey, Richard. Hey. Hi, Libby. So I want to dig into the open application model in just a second, but maybe you could start by just explaining what an enterprise control plane is and how that's different from Kubernetes. Well, yeah, sure. You know, so if you think about an enterprise control plane, it probably makes sense to go back to, you know, what customers are trying to do. And that's really kind of build their own internal cloud platform. You know, you think about the the genesis of like platform as a service, going back to Heroku, you know, as like a pass V1, and then kind of, you know, with Cloud Foundry and OpenShift kind of coming onto the scene with like a pass V2, Docker, you know, kind of came onto the scene. You saw like Deus and Flynn and, and that, and, you know, what, companies are looking at, you know, is like, hey, I get this really great curated developer experience with the pass, but it also provides a very opinionated way of doing that. And so it's definitely great to get like a Git push Roku master or a CF push. But, you know, they're often faced with kind of a pass dilemma, which is that, you know, um, a pass will often solve, you know, like 80% of your use cases, but it ends up taking about 80% of your time to actually adapt it to work for the specific needs of your organization. So like if you look at Heroku as an example, you know, Heroku is really awesome. And if it fits your need, you know, especially as a startup, like you definitely want to go and just use that. But, you know, they run in like two zones on AWS. And if you're a large enterprise or a mid-sized company, you know, that might, you might outgrow that at some point. And so um, as you're kind of evaluating, you know, building your own platform, there's a huge upfront cost in doing that. So you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And so when you look at an enterprise control plane, you know, an enterprise control plane effectively provides these building blocks for modern apps so that you can compose them and quickly deploy them across your dev um, staging and prod environment with repeatability and reliability and security kind of baked in. And so if you like crack open one of those building blocks, you know, it might be, you know, like a secure Postgres database or a, a scalable Redis cluster, or even like a full EKS cluster with, with batteries included, you know, <laughs> all the other trimmings that you might want on there. And so you wanna make sure that each of those building blocks, which could be composed of, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 underlying cloud resources, um, that they're basically the right size and shape for your uh, organization um, so that you can basically um, use an enterprise control plane to define your own platform abstractions, compose those managed services and all the configurations that are required so that they can be consumed by your teams with existing tools and workflows. So if you look at like in the context of like a cloud service provider, like AWS or GCP or Azure, 
you know, they're going to offer cloud APIs that are backed by a control plane, you know, so if you have um, like RDS, it has a control plane, EKS, it has a control plane. And so when you go and provision, you know, a resource, um, it's going to go and submit a request to that cloud API. And then the control plane is going to make it so. So these control planes are really great because um, it provides, you know, declarative uh, way of specifying what you want. And then it handles all of the distributed system, you know, hard problems to solve by making that so in, in the background. And so, you know, with an enterprise control plane, you can basically have your own abstractions and then you can publish them. And then you can basically like browse to your own uh, cloud console, self-service portal documented API that says, here is the control plane for my enterprise. So it's basically tailored to the specific needs of your organization. And so like in the context of Kubernetes, like how is it different than Kubernetes? You know, you can look at um, the fact that Kubernetes, you know, won the container orchestration war largely on the fact that it provided a very robust and mature control plane with a great declarative API for orchestrating containers. But out of the box, it doesn't really provide all of the things you need to define a complete application or to um, basically have a fully production-ready Kubernetes cluster with all the batteries included that that app can, can run on. And so that's really where Crossplane comes in to basically provide a toolkit for defining your own uh, meta control plane uh, that can be used to orchestrate you know, the provisioning and lifecycle management of other control planes like cloud services like RDS or EKS and then basically define your own uh, building block abstractions using those primitives and then making those available via your own enterprise control plane. Um, and then those, those basically um, can be consumed from existing tools and workflows, whether it be GitOps using kube control from imperative pipelines, that type of thing. And uh, so Crossplane is um, an open source um, add-on to Kubernetes. How did that uh, work come about? What was the inspiration for it? Yeah, so Crossplane came about when we were looking at, you know, having control plane basically be something that customers were, you know, using with Kubernetes, but then it kind of fell short where you wanted to be able to provision cloud services from Kubernetes. So I wanted, you know, an RDS to go along with my deployments and services. But then really going beyond that and saying, it's not just enough to basically bridge the cloud service APIs into Kubernetes. What you really need to be able to do, because that gives you the low level assembly language for composing your, your applications and your infrastructure. Um, and so you really want um, a way of um, defining and composing your own abstractions and then making those available via the Kubernetes API. And so um, we basically um, have a set of cross-plane providers that um, provide all of the cloud service primitives. And we're seeing a lot of convergence in this space right now, um, where we have providers for AWS, for GCP, for Azure, for Alibaba. And we're working closely with those, those groups to basically co-generate cross-plane providers that will basically bridge their cloud services into Kubernetes with, with Crossplane. And so that's effectively like this very base layer. And then if you go the layer up for composition, that's where the real magic happens because then you're able to take those primitives and compose them together and define your own abstractions and publish those as uh, Kubernetes CRDs. Um, and so we have uh, resources in Crossplane um, that are called uh, composite resource definitions. We call them XRDs for short. Um, they're very similar to like a CRD, uh, but they define a new abstraction that you can add in um, and then you can have multiple compositions support that. And so bringing this power to be able to compose your infrastructure and to define your own cloud platform in a repeatable way, um, and then deploy that with all the goodness of the Kubernetes API machinery, 
really what kind of, you know, brought about um, the idea for Crossplane back in 2018. So it's been um, a really exciting ride um, since it kind of got kicked off um, back then. Um, we've uh, basically uh, are now a, a CNCF project. And, you know, basically the, the OM and, you know, with the Microsoft and Alibaba, you know, joining the Crossplane community, uh, you know, OM is ported in Crossplane as the, the Kubernetes runtime for Ohm. And so that basically brings together the infrastructure primitives, the ability to compose your own platform, and then to be able to consume those platform abstractions into your applications with Ohm and other application models that um, you might find useful. Excellent, excellent. In your talk, you had uh, um, you were discussing, the, I guess, the the challenges of uh, development pipelines, and despite the tools such as operators, uh, CRDs, and, and Helm, there are still points in which uh, uh, an administrator may have to jump in and, I guess, make some adjustments. And uh, you had called them, I believe, imperative pipelines, uh, as opposed to declarative ones. Why? Why isn't imperative pipelines problematic from an automation perspective. Yeah, so I mean, when you think about, you know, kind of the evolution here, I mean, deployments were often done, you know, with simple scripts, you know, in the early days, um, and that, you know, it wasn't actually backed by like a, a git uh, commit trigger um, that basically kicked off a pipeline. And so those scripts effectively migrated into the pipelines in a lot of ways and tooling came about, you have like, IAC tooling, great stuff like Terraform and, and things like that. But then you're trying to deploy kind of multiple aspects of an application using different tooling. And they have different management models and different state representations and where that state's actually maintained. And then you couple that with the fact that, um, you know, you typically get like one trigger and that pipeline runs. And then if the pipeline executes those series of steps, if it doesn't work all the way through, then it just fails. And then you have a, a failed deployment and then you have to go and manually troubleshoot that. So what you're really doing with the imperative pipeline is saying, here's a sequence of steps that you should perform. Um, and then, you know, I'm gonna combine all these different management tools and then glue them together into, you know, effectively a large script. And that if anything doesn't work, then you have to figure out like, okay, what were the, you know, interaction right. modes and failure modes that, that caused that to fail? So when you look at like declarative on the other hand, you're really just saying I have um, a representation of what I want and then outsourcing the problem of making that so. And so with Kubernetes, it did a really great job of providing you know, Kubernetes API machinery that says, here's a way of defining a declarative API and here's a way of continuously reconciling that desired state to make it so into the actual state. And so um, that's one of the things that you know, we focused on as an early use case with Crossplane, which is you know, being able to specify an entire directory, you know, infrastructure and application configuration and applying that onto, you know, your meta control plane, which is um, provided by, by Crossplane. Um, and then Crossplane basically makes it so. And so the way it does that is with continuously reconciling um, operators. And we have things <laughs> looking at like cross-resource references that say I can cleanly apply this entire directory of declarative YAML and then turn that into, you know, cloud services, uh, deployed applications, um, and having everything wired together in a secure way. So nice. So what is the role then of, of an application model and how does that relate to, to cross-plane? You mentioned that, um, that the open application model is a CNCF project now. So the, what's the relative strength of the open application model and what is an application model per se? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when you look at an application model, it just simply defines, you know, like what your application needs to, to, to run. 
And so, you know, you're going to have, you know, your, you know, containers, deployment services, cloud services, secrets, other configuration that, that you might need. And then also, if, if you take it to uh, more as like a clusters as cattle approach, where you're going to be provisioning a cluster for your application to limit the, the blast radius and things like that, you know, could even include that as part of its definition. So, um, you know, it basically ranges based on the type of organization, size of organization, um, like the tools that they, they like to use. Um, so, you know, but when you start getting into like an, a medium or large size company enterprise, um, you typically see these different personas show up. Um, and so you'll have, you know, like an app dev, and they really just like to focus on writing their code for their app and pushing that out and getting it delivered. You know, and you have like an app ops persona that, you know, kind of does, you know, DevOps types things, basically stitches these, these pipelines together um, that basically, you know, gets the apps running into the different environments um, that basically integrates the cloud service provisioning and kind of wiring all those into the apps. And that when you do this enough times at scale, you know, you start to realize that there's just a lot of, you know, repeated uh, work that's going on. And so um, a lot of these companies will, you know, create a platform team. And so you'll have like, uh, you know, a platform operator that's responsible for defining the way in which, you know, cloud infrastructure should be provisioned, what the best practices are, how we should do this in a secure way. Um, and ultimately, can we provide this in a way that reduces the friction going from dev laptop into production? And so when you look at these um, personas, um, you know, an app model for those environments would ideally provide, you know, a strong separation of concerns that allows each of those um, personas or roles to basically do what they do best um, and have a defined way of integrating together. Oh, terrific, terrific. Uh, yeah, in your talk, you had mentioned that uh, operators are an attempt to, to capture all these uh, uh, application configuration and uh, uh, various or various uh, settings, I guess you would call it. Uh, but you said that the separation of concerns is still too narrow. Uh, can you explain a bit more what you mean by separation of concerns in this here? Yeah, definitely. So, so if you think about um, all of the underlying cloud services, if you have like a VPC and subnets and you have security groups and um, all of these things, right? So, and then you basically have the infrastructure that you're actually provisioning the managed service, the managed service connectivity, route tables, and all this stuff. As an application developer, I'm going to get quickly, you know, either bored or overwhelmed by <laughs> that level of detail. Mm -hmm. And so what I really want is a higher level of abstraction that separates those two concerns um, so that as an app developer, I can say I want a secure Postgres instance. And then as a platform operator, I can say here is a best practice config for our, for our organization that says this is what a secure Postgres looks like. Hmm. And an app dev can go and do the right thing by basically just picking that off the shelf off of your, from your own enterprise control plane um, and say, I'm just going to stitch this into my app. And so um, with that separation of concerns, you look at the, um, you know, the, the service operators that are out um, on the market today. So Crossplane was kind of, you know, the first one that showed up and it was, you know, multiple, multiple clouds supported in Crossplane with a consistent UX, um, completely open source, open governance, you know, we're now in the CNCF project and so forth. And so, you know, Google came out with like a GCP config connector and AWS came out with service operator. Azure basically has Azure Service Operator. ACK just came out basically as a follow-on to, to the AWS Service Operator. And what those do is they provide these low-level primitives or the assembly language that you need to compose into your platform and into your applications. Um, and so if you just give that directly and say, we're going to build a bridge from the cloud API into my Kubernetes um, app server, 
and then just give that to the app teams and the app devs directly, you're effectively giving them assembly language um, and it's at too low of a level. And so what they don't do is they don't figure out how to bridge that gap to provide the separation of concerns to define your own platform abstractions and then easily compose those cloud service primitives as the platform team into these um, you know, platform abstractions that you can offer up to your teams and, and doing that in a way that doesn't require any code. So like one of the, the complaints um, about operators in general is that you know, it typically requires like a PhD in Kubernetes and Go and so forth, right? And so um, what we've done with Crossplane is said, you don't have to do that anymore. Um, we'll basically provide all of the cloud service primitives as, as low level um, things that you can compose and that you can actually do this composition with no code, just with declarative YAML, idiomatic Kubernetes YAML, and that that will basically surface as um, additional Kubernetes CRDs that you can provision from the Kubernetes API using any existing tooling. So like even, you know, the, the Terraform, um, you know, Kubernetes provider can talk to the Kubernetes API, Kube Control can talk to the Kubernetes API, <laughs> GitOps, Flux, like all these things. And so um, by basically exposing those abstractions through the Kubernetes API, um, you get to take advantage of the entire ecosystem of, of tooling that already works with that. So, Excellent. And just to keep going around this again and again, because this is new for us and I'm sure for many of our listeners too, the application model is essential for building this sort of developer self-service catalog. What is it providing? Yeah, exactly. So when you think about after you've defined your platform abstractions, you know, here's a secure, you know, Postgres, here's a scalable Redis. Um, and then you make those available. You want those to be discoverable by your app teams and easily consumed and composed into their applications. And so what the open application model does um, is it says you can take any um, Kubernetes CRD type, you know, kind, and you can basically make that available as a workload in the open application model in Ohm. Um, and then you can compose that by basically dropping a component onto your canvas in your application configuration that says, I want to secure uh, Postgres, I want a scalable Redis, I want these cloud services in my application. And then it can then go and then provision those through that Kubernetes API through those CRDs that were added in by, by Crossplane. Um, and then basically bring that entire application up. And then the really cool thing is that when you're moving across different environments, you can actually have different compositions that satisfy the same platform abstraction. So in my dev environment, a secure Postgres might be fairly small, low cost, you know, not a lot of high IOPS, that type of a thing. And it might not even really be as secure as the one that's in production. And so I can go ahead and just say in my application definition, you know, in my config, I still just want secure Postgres. But when I go ahead and deploy that in the dev environment using that exact config, it'll get me the one that's basically defined for the dev environment. And then when I go and provision that exact same app config in production, it'll get a much more robust secure Postgres deployment. And so that's how it provides um, the ability to have a, a consistent app config that makes it easier for devs just to define what they need and then leaving it more to, you know, kind of the app ops and the platform ops to say, here are the different configurations that can run in these different environments so that the app teams don't get slowed down with having to understand all of the configuration idiosyncrasies um, and then letting those apps flow through, you know, dev uh, to prod with a lot less friction. So where are um, Upbound's customers in terms of facilitating their own infrastructure's code setups? Yeah, so we, we have a lot of folks that we're working with that are building their own platforms, um, a lot of times, you know, on, on Kubernetes. Um, and what they're trying to do is basically stitch together like an EKS, for example, but then, oh, I need to have, you know, FluentD installed on there and a service mesh installed on there. I need these different 
um, you know, um, aspects configured. Um, and then I need it configured with this networking and, you know, this uh, security. And I want these managed services available to, you know, um, you know, pods running on the nodes in that cluster. And so, you know, they're trying to figure out what the best way is of standing these things up. And so turning to, to cross-plane has made them more successful in doing that because you can define your platform config and then, you know, go ahead and deploy that one, two, 10, 20 times, however many times you need based on the number of developers you have, if you want them to be able to spin up dev environments, dev and test environments, or, you know, using that for your staging and prod environments as well. So they're basically coming, you know, into this, into this lens where, They've made a bet on Kubernetes. They're using kind of some of these existing infrastructures code tools, and they're realizing that, you know, there's kind of a little bit of an impedance mismatch there. And so they're looking for something that's a bit more Kubernetes native and something that allows them to basically raise the level of abstraction to create higher level building blocks that they can give to their app teams and that cross-plane gives them that. Okay, and, and uh, so we've uh, discussed uh, cross-plane quite a lot in the conversation, but can you briefly describe what commercial services Upbound offers? Oh, sure. So, you know, cross-plane is a great, you know, kind of um, enterprise control plane toolkit, if you will. Um, and it has all of the cloud service providers with the primitives for all the cloud APIs you might want the ability to compose. But if you want to run your meta control plane, you know, as a managed service with 24-7 support, backup, restore, um, you know, all of that, um, then basically Upbound Cloud is going to give you that capability, plus all the observability for, um, you know, all of the environments that you're running with all of the platforms you've deployed into those environments. And so, you know, if you have multiple Kubernetes clusters running in dev, test, and prod, you know, in different regions, you can basically have a meta control plane with Upbound Cloud um, that basically provides you your own enterprise control plane, just like the, the big cloud providers have theirs. So uh, we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to squeeze in one last question, just sort of an, uh, I guess, stepping back a little bit um, from your big picture view. Where do you where do you see this all heading? I mean, what's your vision for infrastructure provisioning with Kubernetes? Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, Kubernetes has done us a huge service um, by providing a really great, um, you know, declarative API and a pattern for continuously reconciling that and that they've made that extensible. And so, you know, building on top of the Kubernetes API is, is really, in my view, the future, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of, you know, desired state configuration management that you're doing. Um, and then the ability to then, you know, compose into higher levels of abstraction. And that's really what, you know, Kubernetes did with deployments and services and pods. And, and so, you know, if we basically as an industry continue to build that on top of that, but do it in a way where, you know, it kind of reduces the complexity, I think that that's, that's the future. And then being able to define your own platforms that are the right shape and size for your organization that don't run into the boundaries that, you know, um, some of the commercial uh, passes have that give you the flexibility to get, you know, the size and shape of, you know, your platform definitions and providing those building blocks to your app team so that apps can get more frictionlessly delivered, you know, from, from dev laptop to production. Awesome. It's all about reducing complexity. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Phil. It's good to have you here. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate your time. And I'll encourage everyone to go check out your talk from KubeCon. Oh yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> thanks. So let's hear from Alex now about our podcast of the week. Open Source Project Momentum, What It Takes is our podcast of the week. Sat down with people who are very involved in maintaining open source projects. I asked about the goals that they set 
And Michael Michael, director of products at VMware, said it's one that has multiple dimensions. Multiple dimensions. One of it is like features. You know, what is it that you want to build? And 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 like was mentioned for Rook. And by the way, Rook team, hopefully you graduate soon. And uh, you know, we're very excited about your project. So uh, you guys are have been amazing as well. When we kind of look at this, you know, the first one is, is features, right? What is it that we're going to develop? Uh, and it's very important to have a roadmap that's publicly maintained, that's visible to everybody, so that other users that are interested in a particular topic, you know, know when it's going to come. And if they're interested in bringing that date further in, they can come in and contribute and help us. Um, there or another company that's interested in investing in a project and attending, taking a dependency, they know when that's going to be uh, aligning. The second set of goals is what I call logistical goals. You know, where do we want our community to be? Like, what kind of documentation do we want to improve? Are there any processes that we want to basically fix up? Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a common in, in infrastructure initiatives badge. Uh, think of this as a best practices on how to develop open source pro- software. And there's different levels. There's the passing level. There's a silver level. There's the gold level. Uh, all of my projects, I want them to advance every year. I want them to move up in that in the in the badge that they get in that C2 badging. So there's when we view goals, I want to make sure that both the health of the project keeps advancing, and those are some goals. And there's also the features goals. So uh, that's kind of how we how we approach it. I particularly like the discussions about tools that people are using in these open source projects. That's really when we learn a lot about how different organizations are managing their projects, the metrics that they're using, so they can grow and be prosperous in their work. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed this podcast with maintainers on open source projects. Great. Thanks, Alex. So Richard, is there a contributed article from our sponsors that you'd like to highlight today? There is indeed. There's been a few articles coming out recently about uh, the serverless ecosystem. And this is another interesting one from Sentry. It's a case study of a customer of theirs called Tackle.io. And they're using uh, Sentry to to basically monitor performance in serverless. And uh, what I like about this article is it kind of highlights that um, even though, you know, serverless uh, takes away all the the hassle of managing the infrastructure uh, for customers, there are still, you know, issues that crop up, uh, and particularly issues that you only really see when you've got real customers using the product or using the the workload. So uh, this this is a Q and A uh, which Century did with Tackle.io founder and CTO Dylan Woods, and um, he's got some real insights here about um, how you monitor the performance of serverless. Um, and he talks about there's an inherent lack of visibility into the underlying architecture when you're using serverless. Uh, so the performance of that architecture impacts users uh, sometimes, and it's a you know it's a big challenge to 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 keep monitoring that. Yeah, so so it's difficult to ensure a consistent and responsive end user experience. For example, um, says Dylan, uh, because the API infrastructure is outside of their control. So he talks a little bit about the tools that they use and you know the the approach that they take uh, to manage that. So it's with your with your time reading if you're. Um, thinking about using a serverless uh, architecture or already using one. Uh, some good um, insights there for, for people. Awesome, thanks. And your, uh, your column is exploring uh, the serverless space as well, right? That's right, yes. Um, uh, upcoming column is about stateful uh, serverless, which is another kind of trending topic in this area, but it's um, 
serverless is just uh, growing very fast at the moment. So it's uh, it's fascinating to, to see all the, the different offshoots in the ecosystem. Joe, what other noteworthy news do we have on the website this week? All right. Well, this week we uh, are getting word of that uh, GitHub has launched a public beta of a container registry. Uh, this will provide anonymous access for public container images, uh, which it will be a free service. Uh, this comes right on the heels of uh, of the last month change from Docker Hub, their own terms of service, where they introduced late rate limits and uh, a timeline for the automatic removal of inactive images. But uh, something that GitHub did not mention, perhaps understandably, is that uh, GitLab has actually been offering this exact functionality since uh, 2016. So you can also store your public images over at GitLab as well. So uh, yeah, a lot of uh, interesting happenings in the repository area. Seems like the GitHub and GitLab competition isn't uh, isn't dying down anytime soon. Yeah, and if, well, it's interesting that you should mention that because, uh, yeah, of course, they've always been uh, 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 great competitors, but uh, it's interesting to see the uh, uh, the competitive challenges moving on to the uh, container container ecosystem. It seems like that's more of a must have for developers than it was even like a year ago or two years ago. Yeah, great. What else do you have on the site? All right. Well, Google has uh, made some interesting uh, uh, new features available on its cloud. Uh, confidential computing. This is encryption of data in use. So this is not. Uh, encryption and transit, which, you know, of course, we, we take care of already through the uh, SSL, or it's not encryption of uh, disk or encryption of data at disk, uh, but rather when it's actually being processed. And so they have released into general availability something called con- confidential virtual machines, as well as a beta of uh, a uh, Google Kubernetes engine confidential nodes for those who'd rather deal in nodes rather than uh, virtual machines. Now, this is based on the um, AMD hardware that has a specific extension that can uh, very efficiently encrypt a huge amount of working memory in uh, VM. So, uh, yeah, so it's interesting to see uh, what's happening in terms of bringing uh, encryption and secure data into the cloud space. It seems like an issue that's been sort of brewing for a long time, right, is how you secure data that's in process or that's in transit. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, in fact, it's pretty much uh, mandated not only by IPA, but also by a whole uh, host of uh, government uh, regulations, depending on uh, your particular government, but most all of them do. But uh, it's, it's Google taking a real hard look at what enterprise users need. Now, this is all stuff that you could do through software, uh, you know, through software solutions. I don't know any off the particular in my head, but they're definitely out there. Uh, but this removes a step and it removes a bit of complexity if you have it baked right into your cloud offering. Gotcha. All right. That was a good summary from both of you, Richard and Joe. Thanks again for that. And Thank you. Thanks, thanks to our listeners for joining us for another episode of Context. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Listen to more episodes of the Newstack Context at thenewstack.io slash podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.